Where can you experience unparalleled discovery, learning, professional development, and networking with educators from around the world? You guessed it, the annual South by Southwest EDU Conference and Festival. Here, you'll foster innovation and learning through conference sessions, mentorship, film screenings, a world-class exhibition, networking, and it's Austin. So get ready for delicious food and maybe even a little dancing. Join your community March 4th through 7th in Austin, Texas to help create a new tomorrow for learners everywhere. Go to southbysouthwestedu.com forward slash attend to learn more. You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast. I'm Mason Pasha. How do you tell the story of change? For the last few months, I've been asking this question to anyone who will listen. In our work, these stories often showcase the incredible resilience, connection, and creativity of communities, and often begin with difficult conversations about alignment and vision, and exciting design sessions about the future. Luckily for me, one of the people I asked this question to was Josh Schachter, founder of Community Share and longtime storyteller of environment and community. Community Share is an awesome platform for connecting young people to opportunity and growing their networks. And we're going to hear more about that later today. Josh, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Um, I was doing some research on you and I saw a lot of really great photo portfolios. Um, I'm, I'm super curious. What was the first subject that you loved taking photos of? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it speaks to sort of my passion for nature because I was always one of those kids like in the backyard looking for bugs and (laughs) trying to, you know, find creatures in the world and then really discovered the camera as a way for me to express who I was in a way that words just never felt right to me. And so I really um, got excited about trying to tell the story of the natural world, you know, whether it was leaves or trees or, you know, um, ants, you know, strange things that as a, as a kid, you kind of notice, but maybe as an adult, you don't, you kind of walk by. So it was a way to understand a world that I felt so connected to in terms of nature. Yeah. That reminds me of this. There's a great poem, uh, by the poet Yusuf Kumunyaka. Uh, I don't remember the name, but I'll link it, but it's, it's all about lifting up a piece of plywood in the yard and looking under it and sort of like questioning how for them the light is bad and the darkness is good um and it's like just total frame shift all the time so you started taking photos eventually it seems like that maybe morphed into video and some like storytelling work but what was your pathway towards pursuing art as kind of a profession in a sense i kind of discounted art i've never felt particularly artistic which is maybe ties to why I'm also passionate about education because in art class, (laughs) I did not get good grades in all the other classes because I felt like I couldn't fit the the directions, like I didn't want to follow them. And so for me, I sort of pushed it away, but then I started to realize that my photographs were really capturing people's attention and I didn't really understand why. I just sort of was doing what felt natural and then um, I went to graduate school in, in ecosystem management and ecology and started photographing, you know, the, thing, the world around me. 
And people started asking me, could I publish your photo in a magazine or in a book or on a website? And I thought, sure, you know, not really thinking much about it, frankly. But then as that became a pattern of, you know, real interest in in how I could tell the story of the natural world the way I saw it, um, I actually decided to quit my job pretty abruptly at doing conservation work because I want, I started to wonder, could I tell the story of the natural world in a way that could help, you know, protect it and build people's connection to the natural world um, versus what I was doing, which I also love, which is basically being a researcher, right? But I thought maybe stories could be another way, another pathway, a method to helping to protect what I feel is you know, given me so much in terms of connecting to nature. And so I quit my job and <laughs> with no real formal training in photography and um, and then did a couple of workshops because I felt like I better make sure I have some grounding in 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 the technical and, and some of the other aspects. But frankly, I spent a lot of time looking at photo books. Like I would study different photographers and trying to understand why did certain kinds of ways of telling visual stories speak to me and how could I learn from them? And then I had some amazing mentors along the way, professional photographers. And then little by little, I took the like the leap of faith and I just said, hey, I hope someone will hire me. Um, and, and then I started working for nonprofit organizations um, in Tucson, where I live. And then around the country and it just sort of grew, but it really was, you know, stepping into the void and hoping that I I had enough belief in myself as an artist um, that someone else would see the value of what I have to contribute. And one thing I forgot to mention that might be a bit relevant to the, the shift is um, I've always had a passion for um, lemurs. <laughs> and um, there's definitely a shift, but I, I swear it's relevant. Um, and so I was studying lemurs in a zoo. And one day I saw on the cover of National Geographic an article about lemurs. And I thought, you know what? I, I want to go study them in the wild. So I wrote a letter to National Geographic to the woman that wrote the article. And I said, "Are there is there any way I could study lemurs with you? And lo and behold, in, uh, several months later, I ended up in Madagascar studying lemurs. And I share that because basically I followed lemurs 13 hours a day, their behavior. And what it taught me was how to critically observe the world because I was recording their behavior, their gestures, their interactions, their patterns um, within their troops and across the, the different troops that lemurs live in, ringtail lemurs. And it, those were the essential skills that taught me how to become a documentary photographer. Cause that's what I do as a photographer is I'm observing behavior and relationships and trying to compose a story through relationships, through space, time, and light. Um, and so similar to what you were saying that my students in many ways have been mentors to me, I sort of strangely, I feel like, Primates helped me develop my capability to critically observe the world. So just to step back a little, I think for me that that was a huge opportunity um, to connect two worlds that I didn't 
normally wouldn't think are connected in a sense. So, um, I, I love it. I, I'm also glad to hear that um, the film Madagascar was accurate about lemurs being. Oh, connected. absolutely. Yes. <laughs> absolutely. Um, but to get back to your, your question. So when I was in graduate school, I, I was in New Haven, Connecticut, and I photographed because that's sort of my camera, sort of my, my hand in a sense, or my eyes. And I started to wonder how the kids in the city that I, you know, walked by every day, like, how were they seeing New Haven, Connecticut? And would it be different or similar to my own experiences? And so that's really what led me to kind of question, why don't we ask communities and young people how they perceive their own communities before we go in and we have all kinds of grand ideas about educating folks. And so I basically spent um, a semester working with young people and asked them, you tell me, what does the environment mean to me? You know, how how do you define that? And their, their photographs so powerfully revealed how their unique lived experiences um, were so different than mine and how they had so much to teach me about um, the world that they saw. And um, and I remember one day I asked one of the students, you know, I don't, I was just asking them, I don't see any photos of like trees or grass or birds. Is that something that you think of? And they said, you know, my friends are like the grass to me. And, um, And so for me, it just made me realize how our own lived experiences shape how we see the world and experience it. And we need to take the time to listen to folks and communities and put the camera or whatever tool um, in their hands to better understand how they um, see the world, the challenges they see in the world and the opportunities that they you know, wanna create. Uh, that's a great reframing. You've um, built this nonprofit um, and a platform as well that kind of alongside it. Um, so tell our listeners a little bit about like what the impetus for building this was for you and then just sort of the role that community share can play uh, within community. Sure. Yeah, in many ways it's it's really tied to the storytelling because I was working in a high school for eight years as a like a visiting artist. And I was working with English language learners using photography to support literacy development. And the first um, year that I started working with them, I asked the my colleague and I asked them, what does it mean to have a home or to feel at home or to come from a different home? Because all our students were, you know, refugee and immigrant youth, and we wanted to really explore that. And when they came back with photographs and writing to speak to that prompt, almost almost all the students photographed isolation and disconnection from the broader community, the broader Tucson community in this case. And so that really shifted my thinking about the role I could potentially play in supporting young people in education. And so essentially over eight years, in addition to teaching photography, I became a matchmaker. <laughs> between our students' passions and project ideas and community folks that shared those passions and had expertise and knowledge so that they could co-create and work on projects together to address 
social issues, environmental issues, or just create change in whatever way they wanted to in the community. And so that was the real, I guess, aha moment was, was realizing the power of bringing community and young people together. And I started to wonder with others in my community, would it be possible to create like a human library of human books where any young person, an educator could access the lived experience, knowledge and wisdom of folks in a community, parents, businesses, you know, nonprofits, retirees to engage with young people and educators on real world projects so that they're all learning together. And so that's really what led to Community Share was one piece building a platform, which some compared to a human library, others compared it to like a match.com for education, but essentially it enables educators to post project ideas that they and their students have developed, and then it automatically matches them with partners um, in their community that could be a good fit. And then they go off and do you know projects together. Um, and then we also support educators through fellowships and professional development because we found a lot of educators are excited to engage students in real world community engaged learning but they've never been trained in how do you co-design those kinds of experiences with your students and with partners. And so for nine years, we facilitated those um, kinds of professional development opportunities so that they can learn what, you know, what kinds of processes um, and frankly, learning to let go <laughs> to trust the, their students and the partner and, and it's almost an artistic process because you really have to trust the process in order for it to be fully realized. So, yeah. There's uh, a lot in there that to, to go further on. I think um, building off of where you left it, like what, what does the story of community share actually look like now you've had all these kind of encounters and communities of people working with or uh, educators and students working with partners. Like what does that story kind of look like? Yeah. I mean, I, it evolved from really, it was a small group of educators and community folks in the living rooms so having this idea um, and then continuing to make sure we were grounded in, in, you know, every month for the last nine years, we've met with educators to ensure that our work is grounded in the realities of what's what's happening. Um, I think, and then it's obviously been based where I am in Tucson. And then in 2020, there was, or even before 2020, there was interest in bringing community share uh, brought more broadly to other communities. So folks were reaching out. And so we've expanded now to seven states where we work with different organizations around the country that are also excited about authentically engaging their community. And that those organizations vary from counties to makerspaces to school districts to schools, networks of schools. So it doesn't need to look the same, but the, the shared vision is how are we collectively engaging our communities to support all young people and educators in a region. So it's a regional place-based right. effort. Um, is, is there like a, is there a portfolio feature on there? Like we're at sort of at the end of the projects, you're seeing kind of all the things that have been built and you're able to sort of do a, uh, 
I don't know, like a high level view of like what a region's thinking about in that way? Yeah. So the, the, I mentioned we have a platform that matches the project with the partners and then we developed another platform, um, which allows a region to see all the connections that are happening. So, you know, if what educator is reaching out to this partner and what they're looking for and, um, and to evaluate the impacts of those connections. So it's, I sort of think of it as like a window into a learning ecosystem. So you can see literally who's connecting with who about what, who's stuck, who needs help, <laughs> who needs resources. So it's really um, kind of a dynamic, organic unfolding process. It's, it's almost like theater where you've created a stage <laughs> for people to collaborate, but you're not telling people exactly what to do. You're giving them the, the pathways to put an ask out and for the world to respond, hopefully. <laughs> um, and then the, the regional entities are helping to steward that learning ecosystem, meaning to help make sure that people are getting what they need um, in terms of those connections. Is storytelling a class? Is storytelling an interdisciplinary like um, technique or approach to learning and sharing? Like, how would you, if if you had like a wand and you were just going to say, "This is going to be how I will incorporate storytelling into learning for young people," um, what would you say? Yeah, I love that question. I mean, frankly, I feel like storytelling is what makes us human. So if we're not doing storytelling, we're not humanizing our each other and ourselves. So I think it it should be integrated into everything we do. <laughs> um, and there's a obviously there's a million ways to integrate it, which we probably don't have time to talk about. But you know, there's someone said that you know the the shortest distance between two people is a story. And I I've seen that for 25 years is you can have two people in a room that have never met each other and you give a prompt like, you know, tell me the story of when you first realized that your parents were, um, they weren't perfect or they, you know, it's just boom, within 30 seconds, you've built a connection. And, and frankly, I think our country, our world needs storytelling to heal some of the individual and collective trauma that we're experiencing. And, and I think now more than ever with um, the challenges in our education system, storytelling, I think can really heal some of the challenges we see in, in the classrooms with challenges around mental health, around ensuring teachers feel like they're seen as humans and that they feel a sense of belonging. Because I think storytelling is a, a, cr a critical process for feeling connected to yourself, to others, and to place. And I think we need that more than ever. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree. I, I've been thinking about this idea um, since kind of the last conversation you and I had of just what, because um, I, know, I know you run some like participatory storytelling workshops and like some sort of professional development on just both the skills and the lens with which how to do that. I, I'm thinking about it through this lens of transformation, like capturing transformation or community evolution. Um, and if you go in with this workshop, you're sort of like, hey, these are ways in which you can tell a story. Like how, 
I guess, how emergent is the result of that story? Like, are you playing a role of conducting and you're sort of like, okay, so this is going to be sort of like what we're trying to tell, um, go out and like help contribute to that? Or is, is it possible that at the end, everyone has taken the story in a different direction and you're just like, we're a scatterplot story, like choose your adventure. All of these are equally true. Um, yeah, it's a great question. I mean, it's largely driven by the community I'm working with. So I'm a, I'm a believer, I suppose, in function drives form. So really figuring out what are the goals, the aspirations of the community I'm working with, and then making sure that we're aligning the storytelling process in a way that will serve those goals. So if, for example, you know, I recently worked with a domestic violence shelter and we had men who have committed domestic violence share stories about what in their own lived experience led them um, to some the behaviors that manifested. And the, the purpose was to create a space for men to dialogue and to heal. Yeah, it's so important to make storytelling an invitation. So I think you're right that that misnomer is is probably in there. I, I'm always struck when I'm talking to somebody um, and they say, that they're going to go visit with someone instead of go like talk with someone. And I, I think like length, there's such a gift to small changes of language, but that is such a more, um, it, it's a more reciprocal invitation to visit with someone and you're like showing up at them and seeing them and vice versa. So I, I think that's a beautiful, a beautiful thing. Um, I, I want to kind of dwell on community share for just a couple more minutes. I'm curious about so at, at this point, what is the impetus for some like a community member, not in education, to sign up for this platform? Like if what would you say are some like the, the top two to three reasons that someone would be interested in joining Community Share? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it varies <clears throat> depending on where someone is, their own, you know, lived experience and journey. I think right now a lot of people are looking for a sense of belonging and connection and being able to connect with young people and educators based on their unique lived experience, which is something I think that makes us a little bit unique and that we're saying when they sign up, we're saying, you, you tell us what is, what in particular do you want to share? Like yesterday, I just Ask someone to sign up who studies menopause in chimpanzees. I mean, a very specific thing. I don't know, if, you know, what educator and young person, you know, if they're going to reach out, but but just the, his own journey, like how did he end up in that place um, and all the other things that people are, you know, looking at the world. So I think the opportunity to bring your unique gifts and talent gets people excited versus a more, I would say, generic ask of like, hey, we need you to come in and clean up the campus or paint a wall, which there's nothing wrong with that. But what I, I think what draws people is we're asking them not to be anybody else except themselves, right? If you're the first to go to college in your family, that is extremely valuable lived experience to bring to a classroom. If you run you know, a small business, if you're a nurse, if you know the neighborhood history, so it's not just your occupational knowledge. It's, it's you know, your whole, where, just like we ask to serve whole the whole child, I'm saying let's serve the whole community and the whole community member and see them in their full form. So you, you noted this 
thing earlier in the conversation where you were saying that you kind of realized that you were holding the social capital at that that school and when you left it went with you what does it look like to keep the social capital in the community like after this project happens the, the various nodes that have now bumped like how does that social capital remain with them and like kind of go from them yeah it's a great question i i feel like we're still learning that to be honest but just as an, another example, because I guess as a storyteller, I have to tell stories. <laughs> but there was an, an, um, an educator, I think she was a second grade teacher in Tucson, and she was teaching history. Um, and the kids were a little bit, sounded like a little bit checked out. They weren't super into it. Um, so an artist who lived actually half a mile from the school actually signed up on Community Share. And I happened to know her and she said she'd always wanted to connect with the school, but never felt like she knew, like, do you just knock on the door? Like, how do you do that? And so they connected on the platform and she worked, she, she did um, music and they built uh, cliff dwellings through ceramics because she was a ceramic artist. They did oral histories with their own families and connected it to the history. And then they had such a, like the kids would even show up more the attendance went up on the days that the artists came in and the impact was so great that then the next year um kate who was the artist said hey you know a friend of mine nacho flores who's a tone autumn artist um i think he could bring a lot next year and so she invited him to so she was sort of it was almost like these waves of 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 social capital and so not just nacho flores came in and he taught um, basket weaving and looked at the, the ecology of the Sonoran Desert in relation to history the next year. And then the, then they connected again the third year, and that led to Nacho inviting his whole family to engage. And so for me, that kind of speaks to how it kind of organically grew, right? From one artist to someone in their network to someone in their network. And I even heard from that artist that, when she first went into that school, she felt like a guest. And by the third year, she felt like she was part of the community. And I love thinking of school boundaries as becoming more porous, like just like a, just having the, these places where everything can kind of seep. Um, Josh, this has been a beautiful conversation. I, we, I think we got to wrap it up. But where can people go to learn more about what you're up to? Yeah, so they can go to Community Share's website, which is communityshare.org. Um, and then um, in terms of the participatory storytelling, there's lots of uh, information, but I work with an organization called creativenarrations.net, and we work with folks all over the world to support them in, in telling their own stories. And so those are, um, but if they can, search different like photo voice is one term you could look up or digital storytelling but those are two websites um, where they can learn more about some of the work i've been up to thanks for tuning in to the getting smart podcast today we want this podcast to be actionable insightful and a great way to learn about what's next in learning in order to stay on the cutting edge we need people in the field to tell us what they're hearing what they're wanting and what they're needing to learn more about Got a topic or a guest in mind? Send your recommendations to me, Mason at gettingsmart.com. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave a review in Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. 
Feel free to share the podcast on social media using the hashtag GSPodcasts. Thanks so much.